0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Good afternoon. For those who don't know me, my name is Ephraim. Um, I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel South London. Um, we're in a study called God's Healthy Household, and um, we're in the last chapter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter six. So I ask that you would turn with me to 1 Timothy six, if you would. It's been a blessing as we've gone through the study so far. Definitely been very um, instructive to us as a church, seeking to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple and effective in outreach, um, as being our mandate given by scripture and um, it's one thing knowing what to do and it's another thing knowing how to do it and we thank the Lord that he is faithful and very thorough in the way that he establishes his people. So let's pray as we prepare to give some consideration to the text today. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for your faithfulness toward us. I thank you, Lord, for your, actually, your faithfulness toward all people, even those that do not know you. We recognize that you called, uh, caused the, the rain to fall on the righteous and on the unrighteous, the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. And Lord, you are rich in mercy. When we consider ourselves in the light of who you are, we realize that we are completely and utterly insufficient. Furthermore, in all honesty, Lord, we are completely and utterly insignificant. And yet, Lord, you have conferred value. You have credited value to our lives through your Son. The light of the glorious gospel entering into our hearts and lives. Transforming us from darkness to light. Making us new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithful sacrifice. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you engaged in the epitome of war. The greatest war that could be fought. The war for the human soul. And you gave your life. And you yourself said there is no greater love that a man lay down his life for a friend. And you said, Lord, that you no longer call us servants but friends. And we are humbled at your sacrifice. We are humbled at the love that you demonstrated, that you showed. Your actions truly speak volumes and give full weight to your word. And so, Lord, help us today that we would be truly abandoned to you with no regard for ourselves, May we be abandoned to you with no regard for ourselves, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now, I remember once being out on doing evangelism and a guy said to me, you know what? Don't talk to me about your God. Don't talk to me about your Bible, particularly your Bible, because you're a sellout. Now, I was in Brixton at the time, and the guy was black. Wait, how am I going to get this water? <laughs> Thank you, my brother. And he said, I'm a sellout. And I thought for a moment, and I had to think carefully. He said, you're a sellout. And I said, Well, actually, I think I'm sold out. <clears throat> and he said, You're a sellout because that Bible is a tool that a white man has used to oppress black people and to make them obey as slaves. Well, my question to you today is Are you a sellout? Or are you sold out? Are you sold out or are you a sellout? Because there is a difference. In the mind of that individual that spoke to me, he felt that I had betrayed my identity as a black man. I had betrayed my people. I had betrayed all those who had suffered under slavery and given over to what he perceived to be a white man's religion. Now, some of us have heard that, right? I was in a meeting yesterday, actually, and found it very interesting when a family from a Sikh background said that one of the oppositions to the gospel that they've experienced from the Sikh community is that it's a white man's religion. Now, I thought that... That was the kind of thing that you really only heard about amongst black people. And so this is a common perspective amongst those who are of minority ethnic cultures. And we would look at these verses here, and on the face of it, it might suggest that, you know what? They've got a point. Let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. All without exception. So does this suggest that all of those who were subject to the transatlantic trade slave Even those who are subject to being taken as slaves today through sex trafficking, that you know what, all those people really are just supposed to submit to their masters, as it were. I mean, has Paul lost his mind? Paul, what are you saying? Don't you know what happened to black people in... Oh, hold on. It hadn't happened yet. Okay, Paul, don't you know what happened to your people under Egyptians who I would suggest were black? Hmm. Interesting. Especially to those who would complain about this being a white man's religion even though it comes from Jewish origins who themselves were enslaved for over 400 years at the hands of Egyptians people of colour as if they didn't understand or were unable to empathise with the plight even though Paul as a Apostle of Jewish descent was writing this himself. You see, is it a case that the Bible is, as some would accuse, promoting slavery, supporting the unlawful subjection of others? Well, This is one of the reasons why we need to truly study to show ourselves approved. This is one of the reasons why we're to rightly divide the word of God because otherwise we give place to such unfounded, unsubstantiated, and dare I even say foolish notions. Paul says here, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now, Paul was not in any any way endorsing what we understand to be the experience of slavery. He was not in any way endorsing the kidnapping, brutal torture, and tormented um, working of individuals against their will. He was not in any way endorsing what we understand to be the transatlantic trade, trade slave, slave trade Sorry, or anything of that nature. The type of slavery that Paul was speaking about here was a slavery common to the first century. Remember, he's not speaking to Jews in this instance. He's speaking to those under the Roman Empire. And slavery was completely common right across the Roman Empire. And yet we see that The notion of slavery that we have in mind when we hear that word is very different to the notion of slavery being spoken of here in 1 Timothy and in the other places in Scripture. Dan Wallace is a doctor in New Testament studies and he says this, slavery in the first century was quite different from slavery in early American history. For one thing, Roman slaves were either taken as the spoils of war or were such because they sold themselves into slavery. Known as bondservant. The word in the Greek is doulos. And it speaks of an individual who gives themselves into slavery. Not a slavery that is characterized by brutality, and torment and torture but one that simply sees an individual serving the interests of another he goes on to say they were often well educated so in galatians 3:24 when it speaks of the tutor being the one who leads the child to the fulfillment Of the promise, that word that is used, tutor or better, guide or disciplinarian, was a a word used commonly for slaves. Slaves were often well-educated and household tutors. The normal word for slave in the New Testament, as I mentioned, doulos, a term that in earlier centuries usually referred to one who sold himself into slavery. Later on, it was used especially of those who became slaves as the spoils of war. And so we see two categories. One more common than the other. Individuals who sold themselves. Now, for some, it was a case of They owed debts that they could not repay. And so, in an attempt to appease their creditor, what they would do is they would give themselves to that person in order to work for them, to serve them, as a means of repaying that debt. There were some bondservants who may have either been taken through war or who have given themselves into slavery to serve the interests of another, who actually determined to remain with their masters even when they had the opportunity for freedom. This was because they recognized that life with their master was better than life on their own. And so what we see here being communicated And being spoken of by the Apostle Paul. is not the injurious kidnapping. And brutally holding someone against their will. But actually it has more relationship to what we understand as an employment contract. It is much more like an employer-employee relationship than it is the concept of slavery that we understand. Now, we know often there are those people today who don't want to work. Some of them are lazy. Some of them use the excuse, I'm not working for no man. Gonna tell me when to come into work and what I must do and when I must finish. No. That's what you're gonna do, bruv. I'm going to work for myself. Be my own boss. Wonderful. So what are you going to do, bruv? I don't really know, you know. <laughs> I've got big plans, though. I've got big plans. Just, just waiting for the right movements. i come across a few guys like that. And their notion of employment, in their mind, is much closer to what... Paul was speaking about when he used the term slave. The individual who made a commitment to serve the interests of another. When we sign an employment contract, that's what we do. Now, thankfully, under our legal system, there are certain rights that an employee has. So, Just as much as we have to honour an employment contract, likewise an employer has to honour an employment contract. And if they attempt to mess about with that contract in a way that is not legally prescribed, we have a right to reply. We may even avail ourselves of the benefit of a union. fundamentally at the heart of it is a commitment to serve the interests of another. In those days, they didn't have unions. <laughs> so someone sells themselves into, a sl- into, sl- into slavery and then signs up for a union in the process. It didn't happen. And so the, the, the master's The employers, quote-unquote, had much more power and influence over what that individual done and how they done it. And yet still, there was a common understanding and a reasonable practice associated with what was regarded as slavery. And so when the Apostle Paul in the New Testament speaks of slaves and masters, this is the picture that we should have in mind. It was common in those days for people to work for themselves. Whether they were tradesmen, or whether they were um, very literate and able to aid others who were not so literate, we see that people commonly work for themselves. And so this class of work would have been regarded as slavery where one committed themselves to the interests of another. Now, a question I have for you is this. Having established the fact that, speak for myself, as a black person, I haven't embraced what is perceived to be a white man's religion. I haven't become a sellout. What if the Lord was speaking of all types of slavery? What if he was? And this was the word of God. What would we do what would we say? I want to share with you the experience of some individuals and I'm going to try and show you a, a picture and Tim, you're not allowed to answer this question, bro. <laughs> you can see that? This is the emblem of a, a particular family of Christians, if you like, a particular movement of Christians. Does anyone know what that emblem, um, whose emblem that is? Anyone? No. Ah, oh, I feel accomplished. <laughs> that is the emblem of the moravian missionary society the moravian missionary society and you see the inscription around the emblem our lamb has conquered let us follow him let me tell you a little about a little about two moravians Two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where there was an atheist British landowner, and he had two to three thousand slaves in captivity there working the plantations. And they had heard that the owner of this land had said, No preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he shipwreck, we will keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. He had 2 to 3,000 slaves in captivity there. Two young Moravians heard about this. And in response, they sold themselves into slavery. And I don't mean they just became bond servants, household slave, nice duties. They sold themselves into slavery and were taken on slave ships. Taken to the West Indies, to the island where these slaves were in captivity. As they boarded the ship, their families were on the dock, weeping, for they knew that they would never, ever see them again. This wasn't just a four-year contract, short-term trip. This was it. They were gone forever, never to return. And as they stood there crying... Wondering why they were going, questioning the wisdom of their decision. The boat drifted by and one of the young Moravian boys was seen, linked arm in arm with his fellow slave. And he raised his hand and shouted across the gap. And the last words that his family heard were these words may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering you see these moravians understood the call of the gospel these moravians understood what real discipleship is. They understood the words of Jesus when he said in Mark 8, if anyone would be my disciple let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny his own aspirations and ambitions. Let him deny the fulfillment of his own potential. Let him deny his pleasures and comforts. Let him deny his hopes and dreams. Let him deny his status, his money. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Acknowledging the sentence of death. And follow me. And we know that this is the path that Jesus traveled. That Jesus didn't merely take up his cross in a metaphoric sense. But he struggled so heavily under the weight of the cross, having been tortured by the Romans, whipped, flesh torn off his back. Jesus, the carpenter, who knew how to work with wood, who was physically strong, was unable to bear the cross, having been tortured so severely, to the extent that it took another to come to his aid, in order to help him to his death, on that very same cross that he couldn't carry. And so, as we see these Moravians who literally were sold out, are you sold out today? Are you sold out today? When you consider your life and the compromises you make, when you consider your life and the ways in which you shortchange Jesus for the sake of your own pleasures for the sake of your own comfort for the sake of your own aspirations the question to you to me to us all is are you sold out am I sold out You see, these Moravians were literally sold out. They took the money that they had and they paid in order to become slaves. You see, this is Paul's point, that we're to be sold out. Whatever situation in life we find ourselves in, we are to recognize that the gospel is our glorious goal. That as our lives are transformed by the gospel, our goal is to glorify God as we exhibit the gospel in and through our lives. And so even if your boss at work is someone who is a tyrant and you've got no respect for them because you could do their job better than they could anyway and every day you go into work you wish that you had the liberty to just tell them exactly what you think of them. Even if You have a lecturer that persecutes you, has no regard and no respect for you. Even if your own parents are such that you cannot abide them. Are you sold out enough to allow the gospel to shine through your life, even in no situations? Not shortchanging Jesus by cutting corners because you can and the boss would never know. Not shortchanging Jesus by doing those things and saying those things which would bring a dishonor to his name. Because the world is watching. They're watching our profession of faith. They're watching our testimony. And they're looking for opportunities to mark our card. Sometimes they won't even say anything to us. Huh, calls himself a Christian. Really. And you see, the thing is, very often, we might be on our toes, we might be on our P's and Q's, as they say, when we're amongst the unbelievers, but the way we treat each other is shameful. For those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful. So, the, 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 the master in this situation is a Christian, a fellow brother in the Lord. Fellow sister in the Lord. And Paul is saying, don't take advantage of that. Don't take advantage of their kindness. Don't take advantage of their meekness for weakness. Rather, serve all the better. Since those who benefit are believers and beloved." This type of thinking ought to govern our minds as we even consider how we interact with one another serving in the house of the Lord. There's many of us who go to work, college, uni, whatever, and we may seldom come across somebody who's in leadership or authority over us that's a Christian. But there's one place you can be sure to experience that in the local church. When the head of your team is like, Why were you late? When the job description requires this, but you kind of decide that, you know, I'm not really feeling that today. I'll just do this. Ultimately, we're to do all things as unto the Lord and not men pleasers. Not merely keeping up appearances. And this is what the Lord has called us to. Recognizing that actually, like the Apostle Paul, we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We have been bought with a price. The price of his precious blood. He has made us his own. And we willingly... Give ourselves into his service to serve his interests and bring glory to his name and not our own. And for the record, the God of the Bible would never endorse the type of slavery that we are familiar with. In Exodus 21:16, and you might want to notice note this. This is from the Old Testament. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament condemn the type of slavery that we have um, become accustomed to in more recent times. Exodus 21 verse 16, it says, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. So whoever steals a man and sells him, that's the trader, or anyone who owns the person traded shall be put to death. This was from the law of God. In First Timothy, the New Testament, this very same book that we're in, the very same apostle Paul, who's speaking to Timothy. He says this in chapter 1 and verse 10. In fact, let me take it from verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, note the next word, enslavers. In some translations, it says kidnappers, other translations, men-stealers. And so we see the God of the New Testament does not endorse slavery. And even though it is true, there are people who, who bore the name of Christ and who attempted to use the Scriptures to justify their owning of slaves, they were wrong. There is a, 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 a piece of, um, I'd say it's a song, it's not a song. It's a, it's a spoken word piece by a guy called Propaganda. And it's from his album called Excellent. And the track is called Precious Puritans. And on the track, which is causing some controversy right now. He speaks of the fact that, listen, these Puritans of the 17th, 18th century, these men of God who God used highly, they weren't flawless. Yes, they communicated truth, but some of them kept slaves. And we kind of gas them up as if they could do no wrong. And yet, just like you and me, they're flawed. Sinners. And so the moral of the story is God can use crooked sh- sticks to draw straight lines. That punchline of all punchlines. Case closed. Because, you know what, we're all sinners, we're all flawed. And we recognize, yes, there were Christians who abused the text. And they used it unlawfully to justify enslaving people. That doesn't make the Bible wrong or them right. It doesn't make Christianity, i.e. following Jesus Christ, wrong. It just means that they were wrong. And we acknowledge that they were wrong in that, st- in that sense. And it doesn't mean that nothing good could come from their life or their movement. It doesn't mean that. And so, we're all in need of God's grace. We all appreciate that we're crooked sticks. <laughs> with whom God can draw straight lines. That is a testimony to his miraculous power. Amen. And so Paul says, teach and urge these things. Sixth time in this letter that he said that. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, so that means, listen, If anyone tries to tell you something different, not just in principle, but in practice. Not just in principle, because some of us got our theology on lock. But when it comes to our living, shabby. If anyone contradicts what I'm saying to you, verse 4, he is puffed up with conceit. And understands nothing, even though he's carrying on like he does. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. You know, some certain people just love to cause hype. You know, certain people like that, they just love to cause hype. Cause controversy. And for quarrels about words, which produce envy. Dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. What's the motive? Imagining that godliness is a mean of great means of great gain. Ha! Huh. Money. Okay. So we're exhorted to be sold out. And not to sell out like these guys who are selling out for papers. Selling out for money. Selling out the gospel for money. We read through this text and we kind of wonder if Paul's been watching God Channel. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Isn't that so often the way in which the gospel is presented? The gospel is presented as a get-rich-quick scheme. I heard that even 50 cent pays tithes. Why? Because it's presented as being the means by which you can get rich. And if you say all of the right mantras in the right way, the positive confessions, (laughs) it it starts coming in. The interesting thing is this. In verse 6, look what the apostle says. He says, Now there is great gain. You see, We even see that the apostle Paul recognizes that there is an innate need in us, an innate desire in us to want. But he doesn't dismiss that reality. He just refocuses it. He redirects it. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Let me ask you something. I tell, you, I tell you something, wow, the Lord is good. How much would you give for peace in your family? How much would you, can money buy peace? Can money buy love? Can money buy joy, true joy? Listen, when I experienced that in my life, I could just sit down, let the, the, let the rivers run from my eyes and just give thanks to God. Because it's priceless. And we've got so many people in life striving for stuff, thinking that it's gonna bring answers and bring contentment and bring satisfaction and make them feel fulfilled. only to go and cheat on their spouse because even though she's a model, it's not enough. Only to go and spend all their money and everything that they could, all of the designer clothes and everything else and only to find that still not enough. So let me just do some drugs, see if that's going to do it. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. And the only way that we really actually learn to appreciate and experience that is when we learn to not covet and want stuff, but just want the giver rather than the gifts. and we learn to be content, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content, because I tell you, I remember being in prison talking to a guy, and he's like, you know what? I say in prison like I was in prison. So, so so sir. Prison visit, prison visit, prison visit. <laughs> just, just realized how that came out, sorry. We were sitting on the bunk. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Just had our 45 minutes. (laughs) No. And he was like, you know, the biggest concern for me about becoming a Christian is not having nothing. Because this is how I earn my living. And I said, bruv, I said, seriously, listen. When you know the contentment of Christ, you could sit and watch paint dry and be happy. And I said, that's been my experience. And we're grateful for the simple things in life. So we don't have a big car, but you know what? we got something to eat. We don't have a big house in the, in the best area of London. But we got something to put on, keep us warm when we come into cold church. And we're grateful for the simple things in life. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and as if that weren't bad enough, and destruction. If you want to mash up your life, just desire to be rich. Why? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. I remember there was a song. I can't even remember who sang it. What we do for love. What we do for love. Hmm. Is it, uh, Horace? See, you're a connoisseur, isn't it? (laughs) Know your tunes, huh? It It is Horace Brown. It is true, it's true. And every time I think of the punchline of that song going through my mind, I always think about the love of money. And the things that people do for the love of money. And it's heartbreaking. Because it only ever tends toward destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Whether it's nations plundering other nations for their oil... Whether it's someone fighting over the will of their dead parents because they want to get the property and the... Well, you know, it's just... It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know what? I'm going to go to England and I'm just going to study and get a job and i'm going to make some money and make a better life for myself and they arrive and their commitment to the lord gets put on the side because they've got to fulfill this ambition of this better life that money will because you see what it's it's not the love of money really It's not the love of money in that having pounds and pence, zeros in the bank. It's what money can do for us. That's what we love. And that's the the hazard for us as Christians. Because we might not be an individual who loves money, the idea of having lots of zeros, but we love the stuff that money can bring. for some of us it's subtle for some of us it's "Ah, can't wait for my upgrade iPhone 5 (laughs) but things creep into our hearts because we love that which money can do for us And so we must be warned. We must be warned that we are to be sold out for the gospel, but not sell out the gospel. Because ultimately, it is like the ring in the nose of a pig by which that pig is led away to its death, slaughtered. And that's what it can become to us if we don't guard our hearts with all diligence. Let us be sold out. The greatest way to overcome evil is to do good. The greatest way to be hardened to the temptation of riches is to be sold out to the fervor of the gospel, the glorification of Christ. And as we give ourselves entirely in every situation, on every occasion, in every decision we make, how can I most glorify God? Truly, we will avoid the pitfalls and bring God great pleasure. And we know this because this is what Jesus done on our behalf. And it's not that which we need to strive to do as we walk in his way and Follow him. He who gave himself. He denied himself. Even when they wanted to force and take him and make him king. And he slipped away from their presence. And he gave himself for us. And as Tico was sharing earlier... And by the power of his spirit, his grace working in our lives, we are able to walk in his way and fulfill fulfill his will. Being completely sold out and yet not selling out the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we look at the testimony and examples of others who put themselves under the most extremely dire of situations in order that they might bring glory to your name. And Lord, we are challenged and we are inspired For such is the high calling that you've called us to in this time, here in South London, to demonstrate that you mean more to us than money. That in fact, you mean more to us than even our own liberty. That we recognize we are bond slaves, We've been bought by you. We are yours to do with what you want. And Lord, we surrender and we say, have your way. Have your way in us, Lord. Be exalted. For you are holy. Be evident. Be appreciated through our lives, Lord, we pray. And we ask that you forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. For those times when we have sold you out, Lord. When we've been blatant sellouts, we've denied you. And if it's not by the words of our lips, the things that we say, or even the things we didn't say when we could have done. Lord, some of us even have denied you with our lives. And lived in a way contrary to who you are. And who you've made us to be in you. It might be in the way that we treat our spouse, the way in which we treat our children. It might be the way in which we behave at work, Monday to Friday when the day's not called Sunday. But Lord, we know you are rich in mercy, that your grace knows no bounds. And so we ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be completely sold out. Help us, Lord, not to be sellouts of your glorious gospel. In Jesus' name. To find out more about us, visit our website